week to consider the idea that maybe the concept of American freedom and freedom in Christianity aren't the same thing. Now, I need to restate this. It's not that one is bad and one is good. They're just not the same. And we've kind of smushed our understanding of freedom in America with our understanding of freedom in Christianity. And chapter 6 does a great job of separating those apart by using a term called slavery or being a slave. We're not talking about um, slavery that was founded in, or was developed in this country um, in the slave trade in the 1800s. That's an abomination and not what the Lord was speaking about. We are talking about submission and covering to a master. You are his children. You are his beloved. But he is also your master. And that helps us to understand our relationship to the Lord. If we're going to have a relationship, don't we want to have the right one? Don't we want to see our relationship the way the Lord sees our relationship? And so the truth does this. It puts us up against this idea of this word, this Greek word, doulos, which is slave. Also, we talked about the concept of sanctification. The scripture in chapter 6 isn't talking about salvation. It's talking about the process of sanctification. There are three major roles in the regeneration of a person. The first is justification, leading to salvation, right? The Lord acquits us from our crime. The second, that's justification by faith. The second is sanctification over time, the Christ life in us, in our everyday life. We get more like the Christ we have ultimately become every day by sanctification. And finally, our ultimate glorification. Someday in heaven, we will throw this old sinful fleshly body on the heap with the rest. We will be given a new body according to the word, and we will be with Christ in unity forevermore in this sinless state. And there is an amen to that. I'm looking forward <laughs> to, uh, to that time. And so, uh, we're going to finish chapter 6 really on the same theme. I wanted to catch us up for those of us that weren't here last week. And speaking of themes, as we go to the next slide here, I, I want to take a moment to, to just offer a teachable moment. This won't take long. I'm a teacher at heart. My passion is for you to become learners and readers and consumers of the Word yourself. Not relying on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights for some pastor-equipped leader. There are good things and they're necessary for the church and the Lord has given uh, people like myself. My gift is to teach. I'm not really good at hospitality. I'm, I'm not the best at, you know, on the prayer warrior interceder type. I fall asleep, to be honest with you. I get tired. But the teaching part is where I'm being, I have been gifted. That doesn't mean I don't need to pray. And you may be gifted in something else. It doesn't mean that you don't need to learn and become a teacher of the word yourself. Um, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is really proclaiming this to these people, saying, you should be teachers of what I'm trying to tell you right now. And yet, we are still in this same place. We want you to feed yourself in the word. And this can be hard. Some people say, you know, jokingly, well, it's all Greek to me. The Bible was written in a bunch in Greek. Or things like, it's just so old English, it's hard to understand. I read it, but I don't really ingest it. I don't understand all the time. And so I'll just rely what happens on Sunday. I want to give you a picture here, just so maybe deterring you from leaning on Sunday morning teachings only. 
The Bible says that we, we consume the word. We eat the word. And so what I do throughout the week is I consume it and I consume it and I, and I, and I put it together and I try to present to you what I have been eating and offer it to you. Essentially, you're eating my throw up. <laughs> what I regurgitate back up is for you to consume. And if that's all you consume every week, it's, you're not going to be healthy. That's a bad picture. And eventually, the example breaks down. Don't take that to the end <laughs> there. Uh, but we want you to become feeders yourself. We want you to feast on this word. And one of the ways to do that is themes. Finding a theme in the scripture. Reading not only just a, a, a small portion of scripture and really studying it, that can be helpful, but read a big chunk. Read a chapter at a time. And when you see words repeated, circle them. When you see things that seem to connect, oh, I, re I read that again back there. Draw a line to your Bible. You can write in your Bible. It's not a sin. I promise. Uh, you can uh, put these themes that you start to see together. You know what you've just discovered? What the Lord wants you to study. Let me give you an example of, of the theme I've seen in chapter 6. This is just literally how I came up with this message about three weeks ago. I'm just going to read a few verses from chapter 6 of Romans, and I want you to, to start to see the theme that Paul is developing and the launching pad for my study. Uh, verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign, reign like a like you would reign over somebody in your moral body so that you would obey, obey like a slave, it's lust. Going down to verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace, over and under again. Let's go to a 16. Do, not, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Let's go on to 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. Even to 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 19. And I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Do you see the theme developing? As we put those pieces together, this gives us a great chance to study these topics. Now, I'm going to give you a tool. This is the best theological uh, tool out there. You all need to write this down. It's really going to help you with your Bible study. Uh, I'll just spell it out for you so that uh, it's kind of hard. It's, it's G-O-O-G-L-E is the best <laughs> expository dictionary and theology helpful tool that we have ever found, and it's free. Now, we need to be careful with what we find on the internet, uh, but my encouragement is to you is to start. Find a theme. Do some study. See what the Lord gives you to feast on. And then go to pastors and elders and other peoples. Find your cloud of witnesses and push this on yourself so that we aren't just uh, consumers of the word uh, as a corporate group, but individually as well. Proverbs 11:14 For lack of guidance a nation falls but victory is won through many advisors. Now you need many advisors but consider this maybe you are intended to be an advisor as well.
it's important for you to know this. Okay, now let's continue this theme in chapter 6. We're going to finish the last four verses uh, of the scripture here. We will start in verse 20. Let's read together real quick. Verse 20 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Verse 22, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and eternal life. Uh, the outcome is eternal life. That's what that scripture should say. 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a famous verse there. What I want to do is just jump right in. We're going to go through each scripture here, and, and maybe we can glean some insight from this theme that Paul is trying to create, give us a picture of our relationship with Christ. We'll go to the next slide here. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Free in the Greek, there's a couple of versions of the word, but eleutheros is the term that is, that is here. It means exempt or literally no longer a slave to. So he's using this, this slavery term, elus, the os there really helps with doulos, we're attached to uh, this set of slavery. Now, righteousness is the word dakisene. It's used 90 times in the, in the new, 92 times in the New Testament. And it's a legal term, and it means right standing. You have, the Lord has put justice upon you, and the justice is you are free to go. His answer is you are in right standing with him. Okay? Essentially the picture here to help us, and this isn't a perfect picture, when you get a parking ticket and you pay the ticket, or somebody in this sense pays the ticket for you, you are now in right standing with the law. You are considered righteous in the eyes of the law because nothing is due and everything is caught up. In, the, in essence, we are caught up Okay? Now, let's read the scripture with those two things in mind. For when you were slaves of sin, you were not a slave to being in right standing. Essentially, it's this. When you were a slave to sin before you knew the Lord, you were not in right standing with the Lord because you were not there. You, were, you, you owed, in that sense, anything you did couldn't pay or uh, fix or justify what you were doing. There was nothing we could do that was righteous in its sense. You know, this is an important concept for us to know. We can't be in both places at the same time. You are either in sin or you are in righteousness. A fine is due or it is paid up. Does that make sense? And sometimes we get this concept through this smushing of the, of the word of, of freedom that in a sense we can be in sin and in righteousness at the same time. I want to provide a scripture for you to help this. Revelation chapter 3.15 is, is one of my favorite scriptures because it just so clearly defines how God sees the Christian life. Um, this is a prophetic book. Uh, John is writing through the power of the Holy Spirit. By the, the, the Lord is telling him what to write down. And he's speaking to a church, and, and, and specifically now to us. He's saying this, I know your deeds and that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. In essence, when we are, um, to just help this picture along, when we are in right standing with the Lord, we are, we are on fire, the concept is. We are, we are ablaze for the Lord. And that is pleasing to Him. But when we enter into this, unlaw, this lawlessness, into this slavery to sin, we are pouring cold water into ourselves. What does that do to us? The temperature lessens. Now, note this. Doesn't, isn't it interesting that the Lord says, I would rather you be hot or cold? I just want you to, if you're going to be a slave to sin, be a slave to sin all the way. But this halfway nonsense, well, I'm in church on Sunday, but what I do behind closed doors is cold. I'm not here to make anybody nervous. You're the one that has the secret web browser or the, 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 the private phone stashed in your glove compartment somewhere. See, this is a picture of hot and cold. And when you are this way, it essentially, I'm talking about vomit a lot today, you cause the Lord to gag. He says he will spew you out of his mouth. It's a revolting action to him when we are in these two places or think we are in these two places at the same time. You are either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. But you cannot be in both camps at the same time. Now, many of you guys are thinking, uh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I believe I'm a Christian, but I sin. We're going to get to that concept in, in, in just a second. This is the, from what the Lord is seeing and how he is explaining it to us. Now, let's go on to uh, verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving there then, sorry, what, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. I've really enjoyed this study. The word benefit is, is really the word fruit. Okay? The, therefore, what has come out of, what, what, what you have produced, what fruit you have has been derived. Derived means uh, out of or having or what came from inside is now out. What, what has been revealed? What have you derived from this fruit? Well, let's read this with understanding of these words. Therefore, what fruit have you then gotten out of the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome, which means the term, the ending of, the result of those things is death. Paul here is offering a rhetorical question out of verse 15. If you'll read back in your scripture, he's saying to the church here, essentially they're asking the question, what then, since we're, we live by grace, does that mean we continue on in sin? And if we were to have Paul here and ask him that question, because we're in grace under the Lord, that it's all been paid for, doesn't that mean we can continue on in sin? And his answer to you would be, you tell me, what have you gotten out of your life in sin? The things which you're now ashamed of, what fruit have they borne for you? Do you think you should continue to sin? Our sinful life goes like, man, this gives us a free pass to do whatever we want. I can be a slave to righteousness, but I can live like I'm a slave to sin. And grace will abound all the more. Paul is bringing a practical application to this very concept. What do you have to show yourself from your sinful life? Me? 
regret. That's the fruit that came out for me. Indignation. I honestly, and, and, and this is a truthful statement, sometimes it makes me, I get nervous and sick when I think about the people that I have affected before I came to the Lord. Or that I hurt when I was in my sin. Fear, that was fruit that came out of my life in being a slave to sin. Now those things are all paid for, but the fruit was still the deathful fruit that it was. This isn't just a spiritual application as well. Drinking alcohol every day will kill you. That's its outcome. That is the fruit of that. People say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. Go to the hospital and go to the ER and hang out there for three days. Half of the people, or more so, that enter in there have an alcohol or marijuana-related substance. The fruit of their life is literally killing them. Do we see that? Not only does this kill us spiritually, but it doesn't produce anything in reality. Flesh is, I mean, pardon me for saying that, but we're kind of dumb. We just do the things that hurt us all the time. My dad's been a smoker for years. I love my dad to death, but it is killing him. And he kind of like, oh, uh, it's, a, it's not like we can escape the reality of what smoke in your lungs does. I'm not mad at him for it. I don't hate him for it. I'm not saying he's this wretched man for it. But the fruit of his work is killing him. Now, it's not just substance related. Addiction in any form is killing you. You are a slave to it. Don't kid yourself. Don't try to give me some good explanation on why you think why. That is the first line of the addict. Well, let me tell you, no, no, no. <laughs> you think you understand yourself, and I'm telling you, I'm looking at the fruit you're bearing. You're dying. It's not a good thing. Now, the second point that I want to make is this. Are you, in fact, ashamed of your sinful life? Does it, and it's a very literal term, does it bring shame upon you? Not by some, somebody telling me that was shameful, but from within. Are you ashamed of what you've done? Man, I am. I'm freed from it. It's been handed by the Lord. I'm so grateful for what I've received in Christ. But the fruit that I have, I, can, I have to answer for that fruit. My answer is going to be, Jesus paid it all. Man, I can't do anything about this. But it doesn't deny that it is there. And we need to address that and understand that. Boasting about the former life is as dead of an act as it was when you did it. We have this notion that we're free from this sin stuff now, but we still from time to time when we're hanging out with the boys or we're talking about these stories, we kind of like to relive those crazy wild stories in our life. We are still bringing that fruit of death in a spiritual sense now, in the story form, back to life again. Its product is the same thing. You know, for a long time I would share my testimony, and I, this is a good thing, it's not wrong, but I would be, I'd be brutally honest about where I was in my life. And my testimony kind of has a crazy past and things that I'd done and places that I'd gone. But it was like I was almost boasting of, I'm going to tell you how bad I was. And then Jesus did it all. And as I've matured in the Lord, I've realized this, this part of my testimony isn't like as helpful as I think it is. <laughs> Let's get to the part where I was dead and now I'm alive. 
Let's get to the part where I was so deeply addicted to things and now I'm not. And I, didn't, I don't have an explanation as to why. It's like I was dead and now I'm alive. Let's get to this place where I, I started to understand that character is an adjustable thing in your life. That you can choose the character of Christ and you can be called upward. People, you need to know that. You are free to, be go, to go up. Amen. You are. The state of character or the mindset that you have now does not need to be the mindset that you maintain. This is not a motivational speech. This is the truth of the gospel. What has been given to you is a higher calling. You need to walk in that way. That's the part of my testimony that's been, that is like my favorite part now. All of the stuff from the jail and the what I did is as dead when I share it with people as it was when I did it. The fruit of it is still death. The outcome is death. Uh, James 4.17, this is a great cross-reference for those of you that may be convicted by the concept of, man, I do share a lot of those old stories. And I, I'm not saying that the Lord can't use anything. Be, be led by the Spirit and share what He asks. But don't be boastful about it. If anyone, James 4.17 er, 4, says, then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, He is sin for them. Don't be the stumbling block for somebody else by, their, by not doing something or by doing something else. For those of you that are considering any kind of, a, this is a practical note, uh, helping or ministry of somebody else, maybe a, a counseling uh, situation that you may be in with your friend or family or someone within the church. Somebody shares with you that they have an addiction or that something happened or that they're dealing with a sin. We don't need to relate to them. Oh, me too. Well, let me tell you about my binge drinking days so that we can be on the same page. Don't go down to come up. Just call them up. Does that make sense? Okay, here we go. Let's go to 22. This is a great set of scripture. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Freed, uh, benefit, and outcome. See this theme? He's again showing, it's a mirror image. Our life in sin had fruit and there was an outcome. Our life in Christ is sinless, right? There's a benefit from it. There's fruit from it. And it also has an outcome. But now, as a great set of uh, word there, it means immediately or at this very time. So, however, or moreover, right now, where you are currently, he's saying to these people, you have, have been made free from the outside. Freed, th this tense of free here is from the outside. And you have derived, that's the word echo. It literally means, the Vines Dictionary says, to find oneself or to realize you are in such a condition. But now, so immediately, you have been freed by God from sin and enslaved to himself. And you have found yourself in a condition where your benefit, where the fruit that you produce is resulting in sanctification. What you produce now, the fruit that you produce now is life-giving. It's helpful. Again, not only in a spiritual way. We know that sanctification by works doesn't lead to the eternal life of salvation. That comes by faith in Christ alone. No other way. What's the eternal life he's talking about? In the same way that the fruit uh, of, of sin derives or benefits death, just brings about death stuff, the Christian life, the sanctified life, helps you 
It brings about life. Not only physical health, but spiritual health, health in the community, health with others, health within your own relationships. Uh, stuff that has been dead in the past because of the sanctification that happens on this planet as you're living day to day, you start to live physically the better life. The life you are meant to live in heaven, you start to live on the planet. You are heavenly people. Make no mistake. And God is asking you to walk by sanctification in the way that you have been asked to walk in heaven. Now there is fruit that comes from that. Not only for you, but for him. Because you become the greatest uh, assembly or presentation of the gospel because the spirit is working through you. And there is a reward in heaven, though the scripture says, for those that do this work well. Make sense? Okay, here's one uh, just scripture for you. Uh, again, it's a contest from verse 20. Verse 20 was about this sinful life. Verse 22 is about this slavery to God. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Not someday in the future. Listen, church, now. The time is now. The holy life that you've been asked to live is now. The homeless person you see on the street, in faith, that is a holy man right now. Live that life now. The things that you're doing that are bearing fruit of death, get rid of those things because that's not who you are, not in heaven someday, right now. This is an immediate turn, but now, having this, this master called Christ, there is fruit that is Life being bearing and sanctified. Okay. Why? Because it shares the gospel. Here's some stuff for you to write down. Because there are rewards in heaven for those who serve the master. Why live the sanctified life on this planet? One, fruit that you were bearing is dead anyway. Two, because it shares the gospel and offers a benefit to you. It's life-giving here on this planet. And ultimately, there are rewards in heaven for those who do the good work of the Lord. He says he stores them up for us there. Okay, uh, verse 23. We're going to go to the famous verse here. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wages is an interesting word. This set, set of the word is used only four or five times in the scripture. And there are many other terms for wages in the Bible. There's payment. Um, outcome is another version of that. Reward is a, is a version of payment, they say, what, you, what you've earned. This wages literally means what you pay a soldier. It's, it's, it's specifically payment for somebody you are in command over. You know the devil pays wages. Chuck Smith is a great uh, Bible teacher in the area and somebody I really admire. And he says this, Satan pays his servants. You get your wages. Serve him well. Give him your best. And you will be rewarded. Your reward, you ask? The wages of sin and death. You can't escape them if you continue to sin. Before I said you are either in one camp or the other. Point one, you are not your own. You are not the master. You are not the captain of the ship. You are not driving your own 
theoretical car you're not. You are a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There is no other choice. You are either employed and a soldier in the army of the devil or you have been a part in, in, in taking place in the adoption of, of Christ in our lives. There is no other way. Now, suffice it to say, the Lord does not pay wages. Like my parents, uh, we used to have this thing called family cooperation. Allowance was a foreign concept in my home. You just did it because you lived there. <laughs> my dad would kind of say that the life you have, I hold in the palm of my hand. Please go mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> As a result of, now that's not the picture of Christ, but uh, my dad didn't pay wages either to his old good soldier. He doesn't give wages. Do you see here in the scripture, it says the free gift. I mean, a top three favorite word in the Bible. This word is charisma. Grace. This, the, the devil will pay you your wages. Or you can, you can leave that slave camp and you can become, you can take on the master who will give you a free gift. Not for what you do, but for who he says you are. Now this gift was expensive. Think about this. The master gave up his life so that his slaves wouldn't die. <laughs> Doesn't that reimagine your picture of slavery? We struggle with that word. It depends on the master. If he's holding a whip and asking us to rub his feet and you know wash his shirt all the time or whatever, we have that picture in our mind. But what if the master embraces you? What if the master is willing to die for you? What if the master treats you not like a slave, though we are, but like a son, like a daughter? And he says, you get to choose the free gift that I offer you. Eternal life. Here now. Ultimately someday. Or you can go get your wages as a soldier for the enemy. But either way, you are under command. You are under something. Do we see that? It's a helpful uh, scripture for this time in Rome. But it's also for us as well. The heavenly or eternal life here on earth is not something to be grasped, but like the last scripture said, it's a but now belief in faith. I want to make a few more points on the subject. I know we've gone through the scripture here. We can go to the next one uh, just, to, just to finish up here because we're almost done. Uh, a few things that I want to point out that, I, that I've worked on throughout the scripture here that I think can be helpful to us. I know it's hot, uh, but we're, we're going to hustle through this. Has it been good for you? Been helpful? And I really want this to, to be beneficial, right? I want there to be fruit of a, that is life-giving in this church. I want to just make a few points here. The first is what I call the fun fallacy. It's the concept that when we traded our sinful life, all the fun went with it. <laughs> now, I'm not doing this to encourage you to like make Christianity seem more attractive. That is not my, my intent at all. You don't know me if you think that's where I'm going. It's just that that's not the truth, and that bothers me. Okay? When we give up our sin. We aren't giving away all the fun things. We're giving away, listen, all the dead things. 
We thought they were fun because it was the best version of death we could come up with. And we're not very creative. When we give those things away, when we're no longer slaves to them, there's this whole new world that is opened up to you who are in Christ. Those of you who have been Christians for many years, you have not reached the end of what you can experience in the sanctified Christian life. There is more to discover. There's more adventure to be had. There's more life to be lived every day. But we continue to say, well, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. I know that the Lord says that they're dead, but man, they were fun when I did them. So what do we do? To stay away from those sinful things, we become the we aren't people. Oh, this kills me in the Christian church today and in my own life. We define our Christianity by what we aren't. We're not the drinker. Well, we don't smoke. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't dance. We don't, we don't. My question, before I was a Christian and still then, okay, what do you do? You tell, you've told me all that you aren't. Now tell me what you are. Our life in Christ should not, we shouldn't have to explain it to people by what we don't do. We should explain it to people by who we are and what we do. The healing of the sick. The guilt-free life. The fearless adventure. There's some scriptures here to help you, just in case you're, you're uh, still thinking that Christianity is boring. Ah, man, I don't know. You are wrong. I'll just leave it right there. We have defined ourselves by what we aren't rather than who we are. 1 Peter 1.8 Though we have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, an, listen to this, inexpressible and glorious joy. Go find that on the other side of the fence. In the other side of the fence, in this fruit that gives life, it's we are manic, depressive, we're up, we hate it, we love it. The scripture that we live in the Christian life is glory to glory to glory to, to the other good day to the other good day to the other good day. And here's the benefit. You may be martyred. That is a real possibility and the Christian should understand that in their heart that you should take a stand now that I may be put in prison for this but I'm not changing. I may be put to death for this but I'm not changing and watch this is still going to be a good day. Because, man, this glorifies my master, and that is a good thing. Do we see that? Okay. Uh, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, and life to the full. Uh, just some other ones here. Uh, Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, that's a good scripture. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This is the good life, people. If we're not living the good life in this church, my, me personally, if we're struggling because we don't have enough money or we don't have enough, we need to get together. We need to talk about this because this, the, maybe the way we think about our life isn't what this says. We may need to reconsider some things. Maybe the book of Romans is pushing on us enough to say, maybe the way I think about myself and the life in Christ needs to adjust itself a little bit. Okay, uh, and then uh, one of my favorite apologists of the time, uh, he's not well considered in, in this country, uh, he's a Christian rapper. Uh, if you want my opinion on Christian rap, see me after. In it's awesome. <laughs> Most biblically accurate set of music on the planet right now. His name is Andy Minio, and he writes this uh, uh, verse, and it's, it's really good, but it, it, one of the lines from the verse, it says this, I love this life, but I'm sure what I got next is to die for. 
<laughs> you know, my mom always says that, oh, this cake is to die for. I mean, it's good, but I, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, is this, if, you, if this is your last meal, if I'm going to choose that slice of cake, I, I'd have to think about it. But this life in Christ is to die for. Not only spiritually, but here now in our own life. Okay. Uh, but you may be saying to yourself, you're still calling me a slave, man. <laughs> like you talk about joy, you're trying to mix this up to make it worthwhile. But I am not the leader of this. And like I said before, it depends on the heart of the master that you have. We can go to the next scripture here. What if the master is good? Suppose for a second that the master is sacrificially loving you every day. Suppose for the, uh, for the, for the moment that it doesn't mean he's making you wash his socks and clean his room. Suppose for a moment that the Lord, the master, invites you in to not only his camp, but his very life. We can go to the next slide. See, in order to embrace this concept of doulos, of being a slave, we must first understand the master we work for. And we must know his heart. His heart was displayed on the cross. That's, that's the guy we work for. That's the Lord we serve. That is the Father who we get to live inside of His kingdom. That is who we're under. It's not a bad gig. And as we embrace His heart for us, we begin to, and this is an important thing, if you understand God's love towards you, you then begin to explore God's love for everything else. And guess what happens? You begin to love everything else the same way. Okay? This city, we were praying about this this morning, I was talking to a friend here in the church about this, about this city and the homeless and, and that we shouldn't just think that this is a good city to live, that's why we live here. Maybe suppose for a second that the master has you here to make this place like the kingdom that you serve. Maybe our heart should be like the master's heart for this way. Maybe the life in Christ isn't just, you know, going to the bar and, and, and keeping stuff on, hidden in your back room, but maybe it's exploring this city and knocking on doors and, and, and greeting people and being around others and praying for this city and having, serving the master because that's what his heart desires. The example was displayed perfectly, not only in the life of Christ on the cross, but in his life leading up to the cross. Did Jesus' life matter? Exponentially, yes. This is what he says in uh, Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think one of the core beliefs in each one of our hearts, especially as we grow in Christ, men, man, I don't know uh, if you guys agree with me, but I don't necessarily care if I'm rich or poor, or funny, or cool. I, th those aren't things that are they're on my list. I'd like to be those things. Cute has gone, man, it has left the window a long time ago. But what I really want is a life that matters. That it just, doesn't that hit you? Do you want something that is meaningful to happen, not to you, but in your life? The Lord has derived, he's, he's, he's created a way. And he's saying it's not by being the served, it's by being the servant. 
And a life that matters is uncomfortable. It may lead to hard and difficult things. But serving the master, not for your benefit, but for his, is a life that matters. Doesn't matter because we said so, or E News said so, or ESPN said so. It matters because the Lord, in judgment, in ultimate, in, in the ultimate way, will say you embraced Christ in faith, and then you postil, you lived that faith out, leading to sanctification, and that helps. That that encourages your master. That is pleasing, as the Scripture says, to the Lord. Is that helpful? Okay, let's go uh, just to one last scripture here. Uh, I just want you to consider this. Let's all turn to John fifteen fourteen. Let's bring our worship band up here. I don't know why I do that. I start flipping in my Bible and thinking about other stuff, and before I know it, I'm in like Exodus, way past where I need to go. John 15, 14 says this. Man, this is good. The whole chapter is good. You, the Lord speaking, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know his ma- what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. But Becca, I'm still a slave. How can I live this full, sanctified Christian life? Maybe you could say it like this. I call my master father, and he calls me friend. He's still my master. I'm still the doulos of God, the slave unto him. But what he identifies me as is his friend. And he lets me call him something more. A relationship is dichotomous. It's multidimensional with the Lord. We don't want to forget that we're friends. We don't want to forget that we call him Father. But we can't leave behind our doulos, our slavery, for the sake of independence. That's not true freedom. We are under the Lord. And listen, church, it is so good. It is such a good thing. Does that help us today? Here's what I'd like to do. We're going to bring up our offering here. I want you to prepare your heart to give uh, freely. Are we ready for the offering? We'll bring this up here. Um, we're going to take the offering, and then after you go through it, you can stand. We're going to spend a, a little bit of time in, in worship this morning, and then I'm going I'm to ask you to respond in, in just a few seconds. But I'd like us to prepare our heart and our spirit for that. So don't zone out. Don't, don't be thinking about the budget. Don't listen to the Lord. Obey. And then when we stand in worship, be considering what the Lord wants you to do with the vomit I just gave you. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodwill, for your work, for your heart towards us. You are the Master and the Father. And we are so thankful, Lord, that we get to be servants in a house where you don't see us as servants. But you call us friend. You call us beloved. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for the life that you lived as an example for us. We pray that we too can be the example uh, for this city, for our families, and for the members of this uh, nation who do not know you. 
Lord, we pray for those that are about to give today. Lord, I pray that every person here would listen to the Lord and, or Lord, would listen to you and would give as you command. Lord, bless the man who obeys when he gives nothing and bless the man when he obeys and gives everything. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Stand to our feet and sing this last song. Nothing but the blood. <laughs> 